Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Happy Father's Day again to all you dads. Well, today we're starting a brand new series called Faith Works. And what we're going to do over the next several weeks is look into one particular book of the Bible and just see what that book has to say to us today in 2011. You know, as the political season is already starting to heat up, we're 18 months away, and if you've caught the news lately, it's like it's next week, right? I mean, all the politicians are on TV stating their case, no matter which side they're on, they're saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And for the next 18 months, we are going to have to endure talk, 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 talk. And then what, whoever wins on that 18th month, it really doesn't matter because what, what happens after that is no do, no do, no do. So there's, there's talk, 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 and very little getting things actually done. Well, the book of James is written to people of faith who are encouraged not to just talk a good talk. But all through this book, as you'll see as we work through it topic by topic, that, that we're encouraged to walk the walk, to have some action that goes with the things that we say we believe. And the book of James overall says, if you say you believe something, then live like it. Then act like it. Don't just say it, do it. And over and over again in this short book of five chapters, the writer James reaffirms that our faith is something that needs to encompass all of our lives, that needs to get into the very fiber of who we are and not just be some additive, but our faith is something that actually affects decisions that we make every single day, decisions on where you work and how you work and how you interact with other people and what kind of friends you are, what kind of father you are, what your schedule looks like. That faith should be something that gets into every single part of your life. And so throughout these five short chapters, he talks to us about many different things like going through difficult times. Like what, what is real religion? What does it mean to really pray? What does it mean to really plan in very practical ways of applying your faith? If you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ or you are a new follower of Christ, this is a great book to read because it, it deals with some very basic, extremely practical principles that will help you live out your faith that you say you have or the faith that you're coming to know as you continue to come here and learn more and more about what this whole thing called church really is. Every week we're just going to open up and read some verses from James and I'm going to talk about how those apply to our lives today. So there's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. Every week we give these out because the words in there are true and you need to have one in your hand and if you don't have a Bible just raise your hand the usher will give you one. It's yours to keep. You can follow along in there. I'll give you the page number when we get to it or you can just look on the screen. The scripture's up there too. As those Bibles are going around, here's some quick facts about this book of James. It was written by a guy named James, but if you start reading the Bible, you'll discover that there are four guys named James. So how do you know which one it is? Well, scholars think that, that this particular James, because of the way he writes and the things he talks about and other biblical evidence, that this is the James who was the younger brother of Jesus, meaning that Mary had children after Jesus and this was Jesus' little brother. So James, Jesus' little brother, who also became a church leader. It's interesting that James and, and all of his siblings did not believe 
that Jesus was the Messiah till after the resurrection. So after the resurrection is when James writes this. It was after the resurrection that James finally said, you know, my big brother really is God. He really is who he says he is. And this book is, was meant to be circulated to all people who had come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. At that point in time, because it was only 15 years after the resurrection when this was written, it's the youngest, or the, the earliest book, the first book that was written that, that, that has been found. So it's only 15 years have passed. So most of the followers of Jesus Christ were former Jewish people. So this is written to Jewish converts who were undergoing some very difficult times because they believed in Jesus. And, and the, the popular Jewish thought of the day was, no, Jesus was not the Messiah. But the people who believed in him kind of got kicked out of Jerusalem and forced out of their homes, forced away from their families. And so the, the events are so close that James is saying, look, this faith that you say you have, you better use it. And here are some really practical ways for you to use it. So he's talking to people who are going through some difficult times in their faith, some hard times where culture is not quite accepting who they are. And he's saying, this is how you live out your faith. And he starts out, just a little introductory verse, but then he starts out saying something that's very peculiar in chapter 1. Anybody watch news a lot? You can confess it. Go ahead. You're at church. It's all right. You won't even, some people won't even admit it. If you watch news a lot, I can't see. Anybody? So some people, ladies, did your husband, is he, let me ask people who tell the truth. Does your spouse watch news a lot? Okay, there we go. All right, there's, there's this thing about news when you watch it. No matter what channel you choose, they really have figured out that if we report really bad and weird stuff, a lot of people will watch. And that's what makes news work. If it was all just good stuff and all encouraging and everything made you feel great about the world you lived in, it probably wouldn't sell. They couldn't get any advertisers, so it wouldn't make any money, so, you wouldn't, so news wouldn't look like it looks. But somehow on the news, 95% of the stories that you watch are bad news. Oh, everything's falling apart. Oh, this person did that and that person did that. And occasionally they'll have this hero thing or, or something that profiles somebody that's doing something really good. But for the most part, the bad stuff sells. Now, other than news, there is no part of life where we celebrate the negative, where we focus so much time on the negative. I mean, nobody comes home and says, honey, I lost my job today. Let's have a party. Hey, the house is way underwater and I can't make the payments. Let's go get a cake. Or, or the car's breaking down and kids, dad does not have enough money to send you to college. You're going to have to live with us forever. Let's invite all the neighbors over and make a big meal. It's time to celebrate. People don't celebrate bad news. Right? I, but... But when you watch the news, it, that's all it is. But James says something that's very peculiar when you just read it all by itself out of context, talking about, because bad stuff happens, that's true. Bad stuff happens in our lives. There are people in here that are going to lose jobs. Your car's going to break down. You're not going to have enough money to do what you'd plan to do. Bad things just happen. Troubles in life. James calls them trials. And he says in James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
It just doesn't make sense that a person could be going through a very difficult time and say, oh, great, I just love this. Isn't it wonderful? So how can a person have joy, which is what he says, if our faith's going to be real, then we've got to have joy during a challenging time. How can, how can that happen? Could James be talking about something a little bit deeper? Or is he talking about something that's one of those things written in the Bible that makes people say, you know what, that's just not attainable. It just can't happen. Now James is writing from a perspective of someone who, ha- who had experienced and was experiencing difficulties in life. Eventually James was martyred because of his faith. And he probably knew that was coming. I mean, think about James's life. He grew up as Jesus' little brother. I mean, could you imagine, the, you know, mom saying, why can't you be more like Jesus? Why can't you just not be more like your big brother? He never talks back. He never makes mistakes. And you can imagine Jesus' siblings walking around the house going, he just thinks he's God. He just thinks he knows everything. I mean, imagine what a difficult life that would be growing up like that. So this guy, James, knows what it means to go through troublesome times. Not only that, James was a first century church leader. And first century church leadership was not a prestigious thing. First century church leadership was done in the shadows. was often done hidden because if they found you out, you would be killed. First century church leadership would often get you kicked out of town and you would lose all status in the culture. You would lose all your possessions and many, many times you would be put to death. So when James is talking about consider it pure joy when you have trials in life, and he doesn't say trial, he says trials, that's plural. So consider it joy. He's saying that from a perspective of understanding. He understands what it's like to go through difficult times. But how do you do that? And like all the New Testament, it's written in a language. It's not English. It's written in Greek, first century Greek. And sometimes you got to look a little bit deeper into the word that's used to understand, I get it, that's what he's talking about. And oftentimes there's just not a very clear English way of explaining the word. So when he says the word consider, it comes from a Greek word that's pronounced hegeomai, which just means to lead or to rule over. Many times in the New Testament, this same word that's translated consider in James chapter 1 verse 2 is translated rule or ruler. So if you back up and say, well, what is he really saying? He's saying to allow joy to be the rule in our life. It doesn't mean that you celebrate when bad things happen or you get happy about it. It just means that the rule in your life is joy. That the overriding emotion in your life and the overall approach is joy. And that's not happiness. That's joy knowing there's something deeper. That's joy knowing there's something more than just this life. So when bad things do come our way, we know this is not the end. We know that no matter what happens to us, one thing that can never be taken away from us is our faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And in that, we can allow, we can allow that to be the rule in our life. There's a few things about, about troubles and trials 
and keeping this joyful attitude. I mean, you really only have two choices. You can have a joyful attitude, understanding there's something deeper to the problems you're going through, or you can just have a pity party every day, and you can watch people, and you can tell which they are. You can tell the people who feel sorry for themselves, and like they're the only person on earth that can't make their bills. They're the only person on earth that has to deal with high gas prices or whatever. You can tell. So you have a choice. How am I going to deal with it? Here's some facts about trials that you just got to get in your head and understand, okay, here's one thing. Trials happen to everybody. Nobody's immune to them. No one, no matter who you are, no matter what your status is, trials are, you're not immune to them. Maybe you've got enough money where you'll never have money problems, but I'll tell you one thing you'll have, your body's going to wear out one day. You can take care of it. You can do everything you want. You can make it last longer and you ought to do that. But eventually, it's going to wear out. It's designed to do that. Make it last as long as you can, but realize this thing's going to wear out. So eventually, we're all going to be laying in a bed somewhere going, oh, why did this happen to me? It's going to happen to all of us. So no one's immune, no matter who you are. And you might be thinking, yeah, I've got trials. My cable was down three days last week. I couldn't watch the news, you know. I couldn't get online. Uh, traffic was bad. Took me an extra 30 minutes to get home. The car broke down. I've got so many trials. Those aren't trials. Those are just little speed bumps. Those are just inconveniences. Those are not trials and troubles in life. And oftentimes, people believe that the things that they're living through in life that are consequences are actually trials. If you are covered over in debt that you cannot possibly see your way out of, Guess who got you in debt? You did. Guess who used the credit card? You did. Happy Father's Day. You feel better now? Does everybody feel great? (laughs) But it's true. I mean, some people think, oh, I've got this trial. And you watch a commercial on TV about about filing bankruptcy or getting out of debt. And and all that stuff probably needs to happen sometimes. But it's like the person who you owe is the villain. Are banks hounding you for the money you promised to pay them? Are credit card companies coming to you, knocking on your door and asking for their money that you signed and said you would pay when you used the card? Well, let's fix them. Let's make sure they never bother you again. That's, that's not a trial. It may be difficult. It may not be pleasant. But that's a consequence of your behavior, which could become trouble if you keep doing it over and over and over again. But the choice is when troubles come our way, how am I going to handle them? When real troubles come our way. Have you ever noticed some people in the middle of, of a difficult time can, can get through it in a way that is hard to comprehend? Just last week, the elders from LifePoint, we went and prayed for this lady who said, come and pray for me because she was getting, she was getting ready to go into surgery because she has had tumors and didn't look good. And she asked us to come and lay hands on her and pray over her. And we did. And what I would expect a person to act like who just got this really bad news was not the way she acted. We prayed over her. We prayed for her. And as we prayed, I was just overcome with emotion because this lady had this, in the middle of this difficult time, no one ever wants to hear the word cancer. Nobody ever wants to go through that. And yet it's going to happen to people. But she received the news with this almost weird joy that like, how can you not be angry right now? How can you not be upset? I didn't ask her those questions, but that's what was going through my head. And she was talking about, you know what, God paired me up with this great doctor. 
And God put this church around me that loves me and supports me. That's how you find joy in the middle of something difficult. Now, she could have chosen to say, how could this happen to me? And be bitter and angry and try to figure out, well, why would this be me and not this person? But she wasn't like that at all. And I thought, you know, the, the first week on the book of James, I'm going to share her story because she truly had joy. If you live a comfortable life, if everything goes great and you go, you know, I really don't have any bad things happen, it, it's going to happen. It will happen. So own this verse. Memorize it. Put it up somewhere. And know that it means no matter what's going on in my life, there's this underlying purpose and things are much deeper than what I can see. And because of that, I can have joy. See, there's a greater purpose to the things that go on in our life that are difficult. In verse 3, the very next thing, James says, okay, consider it joy when you have trials because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So you can take this difficult thing that's happening in your life and you can take that and view it in a way that helps you get stronger for whatever comes next. If you're taking notes, write this down and if you live by this, it'll change the way you view difficult times in your life. The difficulty I'm going through today will give me strength for tomorrow. Because difficulties, what do they do? They produce endurance. When I go through a difficult time, it gets me ready for what's next. Now, it's easy to miss because we're so quick to get away when something hurts, when there's pain, when there's something we don't want in our life. We're very quick to get away from it and and say, I'm going to change it. I want to make it different. And so you, you don't realize, well, okay, why am I in this? What's going on? And just last week, we were at our other location, and one of the lights went out, and I happened to be up in the balcony there, and I said, oh, I'll, I'll fix it, and it goes out. It was only on for like 15 seconds, so I stick my hand in the thing where the light bulb is, and it's one of these big, bright, you know, million watt, whatever it is, bulb, and I stick my finger in there to pull the bulb out because we realized that's the problem, and I could hear sizzling, and it was my skin <laughs> sizzling against, and I got this big blister on my thumb. I was like, Ow, you know, I let go of it like that. I didn't go, oh, that really hurts. I need to let go of that. I mean, it was, it, I probably didn't hold it for more than two seconds. It felt like 20 minutes. Because when there's pain, it's like, I got to get rid of this. I got to get, get away from it. So running from pain, well, that makes sense. When something hurts, I run from it. When cold season is upon us and everybody around the office is sick, I go, I go by the drugstore and I get every home remedy you could possibly imagine. I, I tell people, get, get away, don't touch, do not come in today if you're sick. I do not want to be sick. And I, I've got this, I've literally got a hand sanitizer dispenser on the wall by my door. And today, we'll, I'll shake hands with many people here today. I will wash my hands very quickly because I just think, I, I, I'm working on it. But it's just, a, I just think, okay, I don't want to get sick. I, I don't, I don't want to be sick because I want this to get over with as quickly as possible. And as soon as I feel anything coming on, I want to get rid of it. I mean, think about it. When you're in college, the classes that you absolutely hated. Remember those? Oh, my gosh. You just thought, how can I get through this? Just let me just skim by whatever I can do. I want to get this painful thing out of my life. My middle school daughter, 
She's, she's in a class, her math class, she does not like. She's doing well in it, but she does not like it. And she's like, Dad, when am I ever going to use this stuff? Why do I have to study this? Why, what, what good is it? I'm like, honey, it will get you ready for other things in life. Trust me. And that's what unpleasant things often do. It gets us ready for other things in life. And yet, when we start to experience the first little bit of loneliness, like, oh, I need to be in a relationship. So what do you do? You get online, you find somebody, and you know, and then that can work sometimes. I know when it's worked, but, but what happens most of the time, because people are so, so opposed to experiencing what loneliness is like, they jump from relationship to relationship, and they get in relationships they should never be in to start with, and then they end up getting married to somebody they should never have gotten married to, and starting a family, and then 15 years later, they're sitting in their pastor's office saying, how are we going to work this out? And I'm thinking in my head, I wouldn't say it out loud, but I'm thinking you should have never got married in the first place. All because somebody's like, oh, I don't want to be lonely. I don't, I don't want to be lonely. I don't, want to, I don't want to go through life alone. Maybe you need to experience loneliness to get you ready for what's next in life. And then when it comes to, when we start to feel empty, you know, most of the ways people, they'll, they'll, if they feel empty, they'll get something external, either you go purchase stuff or you eat stuff or, or whatever to, to try to fill up that emptiness. And what happens is people go from thing to thing to thing to thing and they never are filled up because they're not going to the right source. So sometimes you just need to feel empty. You just need to feel that for a moment and not try to run away from it so quickly. Just feel it. And then you will have the endurance to know what it means to truly be in a relationship, to know what it means to truly be filled up. Even if you're experiencing fear and anxiety, feel it and let it, let it speak to you. And don't just try to run away from it so fast till you find out why is this going on. James is saying don't just try to run and get out of these things because they'll produce endurance in your life. And they'll bring your faith out into the open and they will make it work. Because when things are tough, if I approach it with this attitude James is talking about, I get stronger. When life hurts and I approach it with this attitude, I can heal. And no matter how bad it is, I can grow from it. I will never be spiritually mature without enduring some level of trials. How do you get a baby to sleep through the night, unless you're one of those people who are blessed with a baby that slept from the first night home from the hospital? Those of us normal people who didn't have that, how do you get a baby to sleep through the night? How do you get a baby to stop, like, well, I cry, they come and give me food? You just stop going in, right? You just let them cry. And if they get up, when they get old enough to walk, if they get up and sit there, move them to a toddler bed, oh my gosh, what kind of war is that in a house? You're trying to get them to stay in the bed and you take them back and you take them back. And, and it's painful for everybody, for the kid, for the parents who have to listen to it and get up 20 times and try to make sure that you get back in your bed or, or just listen to the little thing cry. It's all painful, but it's for the best. It's best for the parents. It's best for the kid. That makes us able to endure that makes us stronger and when we go through difficult times in life it has the potential if we approach it in the right way to make us stronger 
we can, if we can just step back and see the greater good and see the fact that my trials today can give me strength for the future. Now, how do they do that? I've got trials and they produce endurance. And James says, this is how they do it. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. It will be given to him. You know, the wisest person I know, I tried to think, who's the wisest person I know? And I thought of the guy that I believe he's the wisest man I know. But he's also the most joyful, joy-filled person that I know. See, he lives out what this, these few verses in James is telling us is you can't really have one without the other. In fact, the way the Greek sentence structure is in this verse, there's a, it's like it speaks with an assumption. And the assumption is that people who are going through trials without joy lack wisdom. People who don't have this underlying purpose to their life and understanding that this is producing endurance and yes, it's painful, people who go through that without that joy overriding everything and being the rule over everything, according to the way James speaks, those people lack wisdom. And wisdom comes from one place, God. And that's what he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Start to see things from God's perspective. And you might say, well, I've asked. I've asked God to give me direction. I've asked God to give me guidance. But it just doesn't work. Nothing's getting any better. Remember, he's he's talking to people who he's saying, if you want your faith to be real and work in your daily life, here's some advice about how to do it. He's not trying to lay a guilt trip on on all of us and say, hey, if you're not doing this, feel guilty, you're you're bad, You're you're not a good follower of Christ. He's saying, if you have faith, then it needs to be making a difference in your life. And nowhere does it have an opportunity to make a difference better than when things are difficult. When you can understand, I've got a hope that goes beyond any difficulty in my life. So ask God for the wisdom to have that attitude. And then he kind of qualifies when you ask God. He says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. That sounds kind of harsh. If you ask, you better not doubt. Because if you doubt, you're unstable. All that you're just an unstable person if you have any doubt. Now, this is another word that you need to look a little bit deeper into because doubt, we think of, well, I'm questioning, I'm not really sure. Doubt is not question. This word for doubt carried with it the idea of hostility, going in a completely different direction, to be separate, to be divided, not just, well, I wonder if it's going to be okay. This is deeper. This word for doubt is actually being in opposition to God double-minded like yes God's the answer no God's not the answer he couldn't be the answer yes God's the answer no he couldn't be the answer this is not going to work because God doesn't know what he's doing that's what he's talking about when he's saying doubt not unbelief and not struggling because we all deal with that there's a story of a man in the New Testament who came up to Jesus and asked Jesus to heal his son and he said if you can please heal my son and Jesus didn't say if what do you mean if I'm Jesus Ask, my, ask James, you know, I can do it all. You're saying if? Jesus didn't say that. 
Jesus, said, Jesus ended up healing his son, but the man responded, and he said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And we've, because we're human, we've all got areas of disbelief and unbelief in our life. That's not doubt. That's just where we need God. God, help me believe. Help me hear you when I can't hear you. Help me know you're near when, you don't, when I don't even feel like you're near. Help me know that you care when everything in my life says that you don't. That's not the doubt James is talking about. That's the, that's the attitude the guy in, in Mark 9 was talking about when he said, Help me in my unbelief. See, my trials today, they can give me strength for the future. And when I'm in a bind, when things are difficult, when things feel tough, and like I'm not going to get through it, it's an opportunity for my faith to work. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus was talking to a group of people who were oppressed by religious leaders, who were put down constantly, who were, because they didn't have a certain level of religious excellence in the eyes of the religious leaders of the day, they were just burdened down with rules and their lives were just not going well. And Jesus says to them, come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. And that's what Jesus promises each of us, to give us rest. See, the book of James says your faith can work in your everyday life. So do you believe what Jesus says? James would say, if you believe what he says, then you need to live like it. If you believe what he says, when you're going through these these difficult times in your life and you feel like, I just can't take another step. I just can't get, I can't get through this relationship conflict. I can't get through this health problem. I just can't get through it. That's when he says, let joy be the rule in your life. Because when you do that, it will produce endurance and God will give you wisdom And you will be able to see blessings in places you never saw blessing before. And just like that lady that we all gathered around and put our hands on her shoulders and we prayed. Even though she's going through a very difficult time that doesn't look good. Even though she was getting ready to endure pain. She saw the blessing of her faith and the blessing the way God had acted interacted in her life and the way she could use that to let other people know this faith I say I have is real and yours can be too.